0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Sean Amirati, venture capitalist, CMU professor, serial entrepreneur, author, and recently a podcaster. Sean, welcome. Thanks for coming back to Cloud Wars Live.
1: Thanks for having me, Bob.
0: Sean's one of our monthly digital all-stars in the series here with Sean that we've been discussing is Amirati on innovation. So Sean, we got a couple of things that I know you wanted to talk about here relative to inside the tech industry and outside the tech industry. How should companies sort of place their bets across the thing of what do I build myself? What do I partner on? What do I invest in? But first tell us a little bit about uh, how your podcast is going. Cause it looks like you're, you know, you're a professional studio there.
1: Thanks. Yeah, we're, we're in my podcast studio today. Um, so it's been fun. It's been, you know, I, I started the Corporate Startup Lab about two years ago. And it really started with a bunch of conversations, um, as you know, Bob, with people who are leading innovation for a lot of these large companies. And after about a year and a half of having those conversations, I thought like, man, it would be great to actually share these conversations with people, not just the notes that I have from them, but the actual conversations. And so We started a podcast called Agile Giants, which allows us to actually uh, unpack some of those conversations uh, with these corporate innovators. You know, the last two episodes we did was uh, one with the person who leads uh, innovation for part of Highmark, uh, which is the Blue Cross Blue Shield here in Pittsburgh. And the one before that was with Tanya Baker, who leads GS Accelerate, which is Goldman Sachs Internal Accelerator, which was interesting as well.
0: Yeah, it should be. So, Sean, just before we, we jump into our main conversation, the, the name of your podcast, Agile Giants, yep. how many or what percentage would you say of big companies sort of get the notion of being an Agile Giant? How, how are they proceeding?
1: I, I, think that, I think that most of them get, the, get it from an aspirational perspective. I think where the rubber meets the road, a lot of them are still trying to figure it out and they're trying to figure it out um, in a couple of different ways. So, you know, I was talking to a large automotive company last week or two weeks ago, I'm sorry. And, you know, they're trying to slap agile on everything. And by that, they just mean get things done faster. And, and certainly I'm all for getting things done quicker as well, but, th- but there's actually, a, there's actually some, some science behind this approach to being m- more agile in it, right? And then, you know, we talked the last time I was on with you, Bob, about SAP. And I thought it was interesting after that conversation, I saw your conversation uh, with both um, Bill and Ryan at the SAP uh, conference, right? And you can see these, these large companies, they're struggling with vocabulary outside of the agile part of it, but they're realizing exactly what we talked about, which is, man, there are real advantages to being an incumbent in this space. and And... You know, we talked last time about Disney versus Netflix. Yes. Um, there's real advantages to being the Disney in that conversation. And I think uh, it was it was neat to watch your conversations with both Bill and Ryan. As you can see, um, I felt like both of them in their own way were saying, like, look, we know there's a there there. Uh, and the results certainly show that there's momentum behind the strategy that they have. But I think uh, companies are still beginning to put into the and uh, that's what we're trying to figure out with the Corporate Startup Lab and with the podcast and a lot of this work.
0: Sean, you know, when you mentioned the aspirational part of it, uh, that sounds a little bit like the uh, uh, basketball topic that I brought up with T.J. Graven, who is uh, the senior VP of global IT for Under Armour. And he's a customer of both Qualtrics and SAP. And I talked to him at the Sapphire event. And at the end, I said, hey, you know, I know Under Armour's got a lot of, you know, big name uh Brands uh, or people, you know, that they're spokesmen, they're making their celebrities for the underarm brand. I said, There's a category of probably over 50, not very good, but interested athletes. I said, I would love to be sort of your spokesperson for that, you know. And he said, You know, uh, he's <laughs> not going to rule it out, but <clears throat> that I, I shouldn't drop everything else, you know, in anticipation of that. I was, I You're right not wearing an Under Armour
1: shirt today. So that's, I, I, I guess it yeah. hasn't happened. That is the point, right?
0: So. No, no, And I get, yeah, but t- to Sean, there's time, there's time. So, <laughs> uh, that's good. Hey, so man, tell us about what you were thinking here because, yeah. uh, inside the tech industry and outside the tech industry, right? We're seeing some of these movements in the cloud business of, you know, of all companies, uh, Oracle, which, um, either loves everybody equally or hates everybody equally, but they have decided uh, for once they are going to form a partnership with another tech company and uh, who uh, who else but Microsoft you know could uh, could be worthy of an oracle partnership but it's, uh, what do you think Sean?
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah so that's that 's exactly right. I mean they must have uh short memories in washington um but uh, but it's a it 's an interesting thing right so to me. The cloud industry is now demonstrating something that a lot of folks have been observing for a while. Um, And I think it's going to be a really great case study of this question that I think every C-suite is asking right now, which is, as it comes to this over-the-horizon innovation, this transformational innovation, what do we want to do ourselves? What do we want to build internal leveraging, as we talked about last episode, what do we want to do ourselves, leveraging those incumbency advantages? what do we want to do in partnership with others uh, large companies or startups and i think there's different strategies for both of those and what do we want to make uh, token investments that may lead to later MA and, and more kind of financial driven innovation as an approach to doing this so i think about it as sort of what do we want to buy what do we want to build internally what do we want to do via partnership and what do we want to do either as explicit buys or or Growth bias. And the interesting thing um, about the recent news from the Oracle earnings is I think they do a really nice job, uh, unintentionally, I suspect, but do a really nice job illustrating each of these strategies, right? So on the build side, the autonomous database to me is a great example of now you're starting to see financial metrics that Wall Street can understand and appreciate that show the benefit of building this over-the-horizon innovation yourself. And you're starting to see numbers start to bear out what happens. When you do that really well, um, I thought your cloud wars posted a really good job of, kind of flushing through all those numbers, but you're seeing them get new customers they wouldn't have had uh, a chance to acquire before as well as accelerate growth. And I think when you're looking at the, the build part of that strategy, that's certainly part of what you're looking at. Can we deliver new value propositions to existing customers or can we expand to adjacent customer spaces with um, that this new broader product suite allows us to do. And so I think the autonomous database does a really nice job of that. Um, I thought I, I actually thought um, the, the way our Oracle articulated that was impressive. I thought Larry did a really nice job kind of framing that out as, as it's rolled out. And I think you're now starting to see financial metrics come behind that sort of bear out what happens when you, when you execute that strategy. Well, I'm sure there are things that we don't know and, and, you know, we won't know for years in terms of why that played out that way. But I still think it starts to illustrate this interesting point, which is, you know, you have to have a point of view on what you want to do collaboratively, what you want to do yourself and what you want to do through more, you know, uses of financing, whether it be buying companies like the Qualtrics acquisition or more token venture investments. I'm a little surprised by the Oracle strategy, not admittedly not knowing everything. And the thing that surprises me about it is I think if there's one ground truth that I would always encourage a company to apply as they think about this, what do we build ourselves? What do we partner? What do we do via financing activities? It's ground truth needs to be what your customers want. And it feels like in the in the cloud ecosystem today the answer to what your customers want is they want more than one neck to choke, right? They want these hybrid solutions that involve a a group of vendors. And I think that's why this is going to be a really interesting ecosystem to watch, think through this build partner by decision because the customers are demanding solutions that are broader than than one player. And uh, certain you know, you know the space as well as I do, Bob, but it, better than I do. But it feels like there's an awful lot of people who are choosing Oracle plus SAP, and I. It just feels like um, you know, pissing pissing those customers off is a is an interesting strategy that I'm not sure I, I would advocate for. Admittedly, maybe not knowing all the details.
0: Yeah, Sean. You know, I, 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 there there is that, and I think you really nailed it there. That this. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple things come along. Uh, Larry Ellison started to talk four years ago. He said he called it a decade of coexistence from uh, on-premise to cloud. And he said, then there'll be a lot of on-premise stuff that goes on forever. Then you start to hear people talk about, you know, how do you balance that, the hybrid. Now the multi-cloud dynamic that you've just described here, customers want multiple throats to choke. They want to have different variations and they also might find hey this customer or this vendor over here is really good for this this one over here is outstanding for something else i'm going to pick ones that are best for me right now and yeah so this notion of pitting uh those vendors against each other i'm not sure is is the right way to go especially now as you're saying customers have come to the forefront and they're pushing back so hard on the cloud vendors and saying look you got to start to pattern what you make and sell after what I need rather than just here's a collection of toys you've brought and said, now let's play a game together. It's, it's just that, that that's fine for the first two or three or four years of a budding industry. But at some point it's got to flip to that's, who's giving you money. That's right. No. And
1: that's and that's where this is going to be fascinating to watch how this shakes out. Right. And Oracle is the, the easy example. That's the sort of timely news example here but everybody in this whole ecosystem is going to need to figure it out because the, the solution stack is broad as you, I mean, I think your cloud wars ranking does a good job of framing this out. Like one of the debates I always see on social media watching it is like, well, what revenue gets included and what revenue doesn't get included in those rankings. Right. And I think the reason that that's such a interesting topic today is because the stack is broad and you can't do it all. No, no player is going to be able to do it all. So they're going to have to build some stuff. They're going to have to partner and they're going to have to, to do some investments. I think interestingly, um, you know, Salesforce has done a really good job on the venture investing side. I think as we talked about last time, I think um, SAP has done a really good job on the strategic acquisition, sort of using m as a competitive weapon in the, in the whole um, play. And certainly uh, the, the space has gotten only more acquisitive since the, the last time we spoke with Microsoft deciding to, to enter into the analytics space as well, right? So, so I think that's that's part as well. Known. This partner part of it is going to be really interesting to watch. Like, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend's. Oracle has now decided to make some enemies. That's going to be interesting to see how that ripples out to the rest of the ecosystem. Um, it's, it's a It's going to be, I think, five years from now, a really interesting case study on what do you do yourself? What do you do in collaboration? Then, how do you use finance and M and A strategically?
0: Sean, you know what you've described there is 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 fascinating on a lot of levels. But you know, here's let me offer two more of this. One is. Um, you know, you step back from this, take the personality of the companies aside. If you just look at the assets that Oracle has and Microsoft has, you can make a case, hey, this, this makes a lot of sense. But you add in the personalities, Oracle just this runs so deeply against the grain of what they're doing. It's like, how the heck could that happen? But then you go back to the other side, and I think it was in an interview uh, two years ago that um, Satya Nadella was asked, he said, if you could have any technology out there that, that Microsoft doesn't have, what would it be? And he instantly said, the Oracle Database. Hmm. And the interviewer said, oh, I thought you'd pick the iPhone or something like that. And he said, nope, no hesitation. The Oracle Database said, it manages you know the vast majority of the world's information. So you get this pragmatic view out from Microsoft. And Sean, here's the other thing I wanted to mention to you. At the Sapphire event, uh, six weeks ago, down in Florida, I was going into a meeting with Jen Morgan, who's now the president of their cloud business. And they go into the meeting and here comes Jen Morgan. And right next to her is Judson Althoff, the executive VP of Microsoft's, you know, commercial business. So the two of them started then to talk about how they are trying now to get together because they want to help because it's Microsoft, it's SAP, it's other cloud vendors, it's the integrators, it's the partners, everybody coming together and said, we're dumping all this on the customers and you, figure out all of our warring factions and you figure out how to make this stuff work together. So I think SAP, but it's also Microsoft are driving this and saying, let's get out in front of this. Let's make this a little less painful and a little more, a lot more valuable for customers. So your point, let those, let that ground truth be driven by customers, man, that that's what they got to have, right? A
1: hundred percent. Like that's, and I think that's the lesson outside of the tech industry too, right? Because this is not a, this, this, Build versus buy versus financially engineer, you know, acquisition partner, like how how you think about that, that split, that's not just a problem that resides inside, you know, cloud vendors. That's every industry is trying to figure out how do we reinvent ourselves before, you know, someone comes and disrupts us from the outside. And the takeaway that you can't miss is your customers are an amazing source of truth when you actually go and listen to them and talk to them about what they care about um it's it's just that is the that is the lesson and it'll be interesting to see how that lesson i think plays out in in this very fluid ecosystem at the moment i do want to go back to that comment about that interview with satya though because i i missed that two years ago um but man in hindsight that was quite a tell on the direction microsoft was going because like i i might not have thought the iphone but i certainly would have thought android would have been the answer right like if you, if you two years ago, rewind the clock and think like, what technology does Microsoft wish they had? Boy, like (laughs) controlling, you know, mobile computing would have been, Uh but man, you know, that was an interesting tell. And, and we talked last time. I mean, I think Satya is CEO of the decade here. He's done an, he's done an amazing job in what did not feel like an easy role. So it's not a criticism. It's just, it's a fascinating, it's fascinating how answers to that in, Two years now, they look so obvious, but at the time, that was such a surprising such a surprising thing as that strategy was just beginning to roll out.
0: Yeah, and Sean, I'll send you the the link to that, because I, yeah. I, I'd heard something about it some months ago, but I, I looked at it again more recently. I'd written something about it. I believe it was, it might have been CNBC, but probably two years ago. And, oh, yeah, and you know, the way Nadella speaks, she just she goes, oh, the Oracle database. You know, of course, you know, they, there's, there's, then, you know, Hammond high ha like, hmm, well, the years, let me give you three, not one. So like, but like you said, it really indicated a direction that's, yeah. that's the, the market's going in and, you know, um, you talked to Sean about this, uh, the build facet on the part of Oracle. Because yep. it is almost two years now, quarter after quarter after quarter. And when somebody like Larry Ellison says, we're betting our company on this product, which at the time for a lot of those quarters, when he mentioned that had zero revenue. Uh, but, you know, this he plays the long game. That's and right. what would you then advise companies outside the tech industry? How did they try to do the similar sort of thing of saying, here's my indispensable attribute that I can apply and how do I do it across those three channels?
1: Yeah. So on the build side, I think the, the build part is the hardest part, especially to your point when you can't take, play the long game. Like not every CEO has the luxury that Larry does at Oracle in terms of playing the long game. And honestly, I think a lot of them get pushed into the partner and the buy side of things because they can't play the long game and do the build. And and part of what we've been trying to, figure out. And I don't, I don't claim to have figured this out yet, but we're trying to figure out is I think it's important for financial metrics to sort of articulate the value of that before revenue has caught up with it. So if you think about my, you know, my day job as a venture capitalist, we have lots of investments that we think are really, really valuable before they make a dollar of revenue. And I'll often talk to CFOs at large publicly traded companies about this and they'll say, like, well, how do you value that? Like a multiple of losses? Like what's the what's the what's the, <laughs> the financial math around that, right? And and certainly somebody like like a CEO who who or I guess he's not CEO anymore, but a an owner of the business like Larry Ellison that, that's kind of can play the long game there, right? Like he can he can be contrarian and, and, and take his time. If you're CEO of a of a CPG company it may be hard to do two years of quarterly updates where you say this thing I'm betting the company on is coming, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. But if you can do that, right, then all of a sudden it's like, wow, then, then the market catches up with it. And I think what we need to do is we need to figure out how to value those types of activities in a way that is comfortable for Wall Street. To try to figure that out at the Corporate Startup Lab right now, where we're using option price theory to value this transformational innovation. Because today, most of the tools that are used to value that type of activity assume a normal distribution of returns, you know, that, that sort of looks like a bell curve. And that's really helpful if you're making a capital investment to open another retail store, even an expensive retail store somewhere. But if you're doing something where the return curve does not look like a bell curve at all, but it looks more like a power lock curve, right, then calculating the average of it is kind of flawed. So here's, I mean, there's a lot of math, and I, math is sort of notoriously not good for a podcast, so I won't go into all the math, but let me just sort of illustrate the point with the challenge these these folks are using today to value this, right? So if I said, what's the average temperature that people like to drink tea? The answer would be room temperature, because some people like hot tea, and some people like iced tea, but almost nobody walks into a restaurant and says, oh, you know, please serve me your finest glass of room temperature tea, right? And I think what you have happening in a lot of these companies, especially outside of tech where often the owners and the CEOs don't have the same level of control that some of these tech executives do over their companies um, is that they're trying to calculate the average value of this innovation when you can precisely calculate the average value, but it's a meaningless number because you end up with the equivalent of room temperature tea. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, don't use math that assumes an average and a bell curve, use math that assumes a couple of these work really well, and a lot of them don't, and and let's value it based on that. So we've been in that where option pricing sort of leads you. And so we've been trying to to figure that out because I think we need to open up the opportunity for large grocery chains and large CPG companies and chemical companies, people who are not uh, Larry Ellison at Oracle or Satya Nadell at, um, at Microsoft, but these guys who are who are in these more traditional industries to do the same type of okay, this is how I value the the build part of it, so that I can make an apples to apples comparison between the build strategy versus you know partnering or or buying uh, my way through it, and it's been um, it's been interesting to watch people. Uh, sort of wrestle with this. Um, and I th- again, I think that the cloud tech ecosystem is going to be a great case study a few years down the road. I just, I don't want to wait. Like I'm optimistic about what the yeah. CEO of a CPG company can do today. And I want him or her to be able to to start playing in this stream today, as opposed to waiting for, for being dis- disrupted from the outside
0: in. So Sean, j- you know, this is fantastic stuff. When you go in outside, you know, talking to C-suite outside the tech industry, if there are, you know, two or three, I don't want to, yeah, if there are two or three mistakes or mindsets that you have to help those people overcome to get to this view that's going to allow them to move as quickly and decisively and effectively as you've outlined there, what are those couple of things that that just are obstacles right now for them?
1: Yeah, So, uh, so I think there's a lot, but one of the things that I think is really important is this customer-centric philosophy, right? Like if you can get these executives to go to that ground truth of what their customers care about, it solves a lot of other problems, just having that flushed out. Uh, another thing I think that becomes really important uh, for a lot of these executives is to think about other business models that may not be how they currently monetize their relationships and the value that they provide. You know, through that value chain and when I, I, sh- I guess one thing I should elaborate on on the first point first is when I say customers. I mean customers all the way through so you know you and I both participated in the IRI conference about a month ago. And you did a great keynote there, but one of the things I thought that was interesting is all the executives who were, who kept in their mind trying to draw this distinction between users and customers. Right? And it's like you, you need to care about both. Like this is not an or; this is an and. Like you need to walk and chew gum. You need to care about your, your customers and your users. Like this is just this is how you do this, right? So yeah. I think step one is figuring that out. But the other thing is, as you start thinking about, you know, really what your customers and users care about, often that ends up leading to a different business model than the business model that you've had to date, and that ripples through to cause lots of other challenges as well. So all of a sudden you may go from a transactional relationship with your customers where you transact with them once. And then frankly, hope they don't call you again, because that just adds to your cost of support to, um, to a recurring relationship with your customer where they pay you less money every month. Now this is cloud Wars, So most of your audience, Bob is thinking like, well, of course we know this, this, is, that's, you know, the difference between uh, on-prem and SaaS." And that is one example of that, right? But in general, like moving from a recurring relationship to a cu- with a customer from this transaction relationship is actually a generalizable problem that the software industry has just illustrated through this, this, this on-prem versus SaaS relationship. You know, you also may make money by connecting your customers with other people in the value chain, right? So more of a marketplace model versus a transactional model. Or you may end up in a situation where the, the data that your customers give you is so valuable that that becomes a whole new, whole new revenue stream for you. And it's interesting to watch executives who are not tech executives start to learn the value of the data they have. Um, I think, I mean, I don't want to repeat the whole podcast from a month ago, but I think that's part of the brilliance of what SAP is doing with Qualtrics, right? And now Microsoft as well. like, you know, everybody's going to have to have this sort of enterprise analytics BI solution because you've got to teach these customers that data has a ton of value in their ecosystem. There there are non-obvious ways to do it. And not just because it's because, man, they will pay you money for it. And when you can tie it back to that ROI, like all of a sudden the finance department is very interested in that as well. So I mean, I think there's a lot and there's not a one size fits all to it. The closest to one size fits all certainly would be focused on your customers. And again, these customers can be users or the people who pay your customers today
0: and you know I, I was as you were describing that i thought about a couple of examples we had a, a guest on um two or three months ago he was uh, a senior i.t executive from electrolux so it's a 100 year old swedish company that made vacuum cleaners he said one of their the new businesses they're excited about is they have uh they they sell vacuum Vacuuming or, or uh, vacuum your carpet as a service, so you can right. get a monthly subscription for those sorts of things. And uh, some of the car companies are realizing that what the customers really would love not to have to deal with is stuff like insurance and registration and things like that. So, them, some of them are building that in, and you know, they, they're just giving it a different name. And so, your point about these uh, monthly types of ongoing relationships, and I loved how you put that, is get, you know, cash the check from the customer, <laughs> hope they never call you again. I mean, it sounds absurd, but it's so true, right? Like, I got it's going to raise my support costs. Don't, don't call me again or right, right. send me a text. My goodness. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. Well, and, and I think also, like, the car company one is a really interesting example of this, too, because some of that also starts to prepare them for other mega trends that are coming. And, and I don't know, I'm don't know. i I'm not smart enough to tell you, like, are they coming in the next two years, five years, 10 years, or 20 years, but, I, but it feels hard for me to believe that on the outer edge of that, trends like autonomous vehicles, electrification, uh, ride sharing, like that those, those three things won't, in, in some combination, massively disrupt the auto industry. Right. And so if you're an automotive executive today, you can feel those trends coming at you. Right. And, it, and you can get ahead of this by changing your relationship with your customers and your business models. But remember, it comes back to this ground truth in a way that your customers want. Like, you know, I hear so many, so many CEOs and C-suite executives bring me in and they're like, let me tell you what would be great for my business. Uh, I don't, I don't really, like, that's not actually as relevant as you think it is. The right question is, what would your customers love? Oh, and then if you can find overlap with what your customers love, and it works well for these, these transformations that you're trying to lead through your businesses, then magic happens, right? And, uh, and I think the, the renting your car instead of owning your car and taking care of service and insurance and, and all those things like this really is a win for your customers. A win for where the industry is heading, and it starts to to illustrate this this business model transformation that I think is so key.
0: Sean, you know, uh, I you you hit on that where you can get those two things that overlap, great for customers and could be good for you. It seems like you know one of the things that C suites have to be able to master today is sort of this dual view of things, and they've got to be able to see two things simultaneously and synthesize. You know where the overlap is or where the right Future opportunity as one is as you're saying what is it that customers more and more want and need and how are their needs? shifting and requirements and expectations and demands and then on the other side that Incumbency that you mentioned earlier to keep a very nimble view of this. It's not Incumbency doesn't mean I got to keep doing this the way. I've always done but I have a set of assets I have a set of capabilities. I've got a set of um you know branding issues in the marketplace a sense of trust where that exists for relationships and then how do i pull those things together
1: that's right and that's right and my hope is and so this is a place where i really hope that the technology industry and the vendors that you cover so closely can become real partners to these guys in this journey right because i think the tech industry has actually gone through this Quicker than the other industries, and has a bunch of enabling technology to make this possible. Um, but, like the optimist in me wants to believe that they will, they will, they will take that approach and and be that partner. You know, I think the jury's still out, and and certainly it won't. It doesn't mean they all will, but I hope that some of them do because I think they can be great partners in this transformation that these companies need to go through. I think if you think about things like what we talked about couple episodes ago but it's an example I've come back to over and over again and I know it's in your uh, you have a blog post on it as well but what Kroger and Microsoft did together right like that's the model to, in my mind of how a, how a CEO and a c-suite tech executive can walk into the c-suite of one of their customers and help them through this progression and uh, and I I want to believe that the technology industry will do that I spent you know, not as a journalist like you, but I spent, you know, the the first dozen years of my career building software companies. I love the software industry. I was a programmer by background. I want to believe that we're going to get to be helpful in this way. Um, Time will tell. And I think vocabulary matters a lot. And uh, we need the equivalent of the sort of smarter planet for what IBM did with smarter planet. We need the equivalent of that for this kind of corporate transformation. Um, but there, I think there's a great opportunity for the technology industry to lead these executives through this. And if they do that well, create a ton of economic value for themselves and their and their customers and make the world a better place, like, which is what Silicon Valley, you know, for so long has claimed it's all about. And, and frankly, um, th- this is not a political statement, but frankly, Silicon Valley is not nearly as revered as it was a few years ago. And, and I think if we can get back to interacting with customers that way and being part of, you know, the Microsoft Kroger collaboration instead of some of the challenges of the tech companies that have gone public in the last few few months, like, you know, Uber and Lyft most most notably, or some of the challenges you've seen in some of the consumer tech companies, um, we have a chance to sort of reframe tech again in a way that is aspirational. And and this is important because, you know, my kids are, are seven and eight right now. And And when I was seven and eight, I knew when I grew up, I wanted to be a programmer. I wanted to spend my my life in the tech industry. It's not clear to me that my son and daughter are going to feel that same way. And, uh, and if, and we, we need, we need this, like we we need the, the industry needs to do this, like on a, on a lot of levels, they need to do it for their shareholders, but they also need to do it just for the world. And so I'm excited about it. I, I want to believe we're going to do it. I, I think it's a they've, there's a ton of reasons why the industry has advantages to do it. Um, I think there's a ton of personality and ego that may get in the way of that happening too, unfortunately. And so, so we'll see. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that every single firm will, but it'll be fascinating to watch um, if we can, if we can be these trusted partners for these companies, because, uh, because there's, there's a ton of value to be created. I, I, I don't know the, you may know, but the, the Kroger story to me, like, that's probably valuable from a bottom line perspective, but I bet it's at least as valuable from a cultural perspective. Like getting to do that has non-financial kind of cultural transformational values inside a place like Kroger.
0: Yeah, Sean, uh, I'm gonna uh, give you a second here to think about a final question. Cause I'm gonna ask if you can put a name to that three part expertise that companies need to have. What do you build? Where do you partner? Where do you invest? But uh, I also, you know as you're thinking about that I just wanted to put this idea out there you know it's one of the reasons I, I really referred to that Oracle Microsoft thing as I was writing about that as a shocker uh, it makes sense it's gonna help both of those companies but there is something inside of some companies that cause them to see things you know as you said well uh, hey what would be good for my business well that's all nice but more and more this is the customer-driven world. You want to get into the digital business world? Well, that is not about your convenience or your history or your tradition. It's about what customers want. And what they want is going to change and evolve, mutate, sometimes rapidly and sometimes quite inconveniently yep. for people on the seller side. So it's going to require a whole new world. So I give Oracle a ton of credit for being willing to do this, for cutting against you know, some really deeply held... Um, <laughs> cultural and behavioral and you know mental mindsets that they they've just had there. they it just they did not do this stuff so uh, i think that's great it shows a lot of initiative and a lot of courage on their part and sean i also think it's going to be one of those high impact things that other companies are going to look and say holy crap if oracle is willing to do this and microsoft you know these two right. companies where else does it make sense so I, I like you the optimist wants to believe here so Sean, can I circle back? Do you have, can we call this Amorati's triangle?
1: (laughs) I don't know if we can call it that, but it's some type of, I mean, I don't, I don't have a good term for it, but to me, it's, it's really ecosystem thinking at the end of the day, right? It's like taking, and it's, and I think it's, it's, again, I don't have a, a catchy name for it. I'll leave that to folks who are better at marketing than me, but it feels like there's some amount of this blend of being customer centric and then thinking kind of full stack ecosystem appropriately that if you can do that right um you, you can really transform industries and create a ton of economic value and and improve sort of the status quo across the board um, and i think the tech industry does that well uh, and they can they, hopefully they can help others learn to do that well as well um, we'll, we'll say i'm optimistic
0: well, i like how you put ecosystem in there sean because it forces the companies going through this exercise to think beyond their four walls and beyond right. their capabilities. It really is a very rich, rich, and deep opportunity. Well, Sean, thanks. This has been, as always, this has been great. Amorites triangle is going to be up there among <laughs> the great, uh, uh, brands here in all of this. And I, I, I'm so happy to be your, your co-owner and co-developer. We'll get a contract and you know, it's, it's a revenue share, right?
1: Perfect. Just like the Under Armour deal. As soon as you get that one done, we'll work on this one next.
0: Oh man, this is great. I'm rolling in it. Evans, you got it made. Sean, thanks so much. It's, it's a treat always talking with you. And to all of you folks out there, thanks for being with us. Uh, please share your feedback with me at bobevanspa at gmail.com. And next month, Sean will be back for another episode of Amirati on innovation. Be sure to check out his podcast there about agile giants. Sean, thanks very much. We'll see you next time.